So today's passage is 1 Kings 18, 1 to 15 and 41, 46. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground and said, is it really you, my Lord Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. What have I done wrong, asked Abadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, 50 in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. He will kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rainstorm came on and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah 
and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Thanks, Anita, for reading that. If you've got a Bible to hand, uh, do uh, take it up uh, to keep our eyes in 1 Kings 18. Otherwise, a couple of times I'll just put up a slide uh, where there's verses to hone in on. It's great to be with you again for this uh, third week, looking at um, these episodes in Elijah's life. Um, but let's ask for God's help as we turn to his word. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord of the word, would you open your word to our hearts this lunchtime? and open our hearts to your word. We ask for this by your spirit's work in us and in Jesus' name, amen. So just a reminder of where we are with these events that we're looking at, it's, a, it's the 860s BC and Ahab is the king of this little nation, Israel, which is the, the kingdom that was meant to be God's people have split, they've divided and we're looking at the Northern Kingdom where Ahab is king and what a king he was. He was rejecting and leading the people in rejecting worship of the God of the Bible. So God's whole purposes for those people chosen by him, that uh, through him, uh, through them living God's way, the world would see who God is and be drawn to know him. Um, Ahab is just subverting all of that as he brings the people to worship a different God. Baal is this state-sponsored religion. Uh, serving and worshipping this fiction, the god Baal, and another god Asherah. Now, in those Old Testament days, the relationship between God and his people was closely tied in with the land he'd given them in a unique way that isn't the same today or for other countries. Uh, but it means that because the people have rejected God, there's been three years without rain. And there was no rain because the people needed to ask God for rain. They needed to turn back to him. So instead of pleading with Baal and offering sacrifices to Baal, the people need to see there's no God in heaven by that name. It's a fiction and they need to turn back to Yahweh, the God of the Bible. And what happens is Elijah confronts the king and there's a God war. Now, we looked at this last week. You'll see that the reading we had today in chapter 18 was like the bread of a sandwich and the meat in the sandwich was this absolutely extraordinary event that we looked at last week where Elijah went up onto an old onto the summit of Mount Carmel and um, th there were two altars assembled and 400 prophets of Baal were at one altar and Elijah is at the other and fire comes down from heaven and it consumes Elijah's altar as God arrives and demonstrates that he's he's the God to follow so this is God fighting to win his people back that's what we saw last week and the reason we're staying in this chapter for one last week is that surrounding that momentous event are a couple of terrific lessons for us about how we should live or how we might live if we trust Yahweh, the God of the Bible. And the first lesson is from Obadiah. I've called him Obadiah, the ordinary hero. Obadiah, the ordinary hero. And he inspires us to be one as well. I'm really thrilled to be speaking about Obadiah in this kind of forum, a kind of a workplace forum where you guys are Christians uh, in a workplace or you're looking into what it would be what it would mean to be a Christian in your workplace 
um, as maybe especially thinking about Parliament, because just look at his job. Um, verse three, there's famine. The famine was severe in Samaria and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. This guy is a very senior civil servant. He's got access to the king himself so that Elijah, because Elijah wants to see the king, he goes to see Obadiah. And then in, um, in verse five, we learn that, um, oh, I haven't got it there, but in verse five, we learn that it's Obadiah who's been sent by King Ahab to go through the land to try and find somewhere that there might be pasture that they can use to keep the, uh, that there might be grass to keep the horses and mules alive. So his role goes well beyond the, uh, the palace. He, he's like um, the cabinet secretary, the chancellor and the minister for agriculture all rolled into one. Does he in some sense embody for us um, the person who's working in parliament today in whatever way that you operate, uh, thinking about somebody in that kind of role? And then we hear that a moment came in Obadiah's life when his faith called him to think, well, maybe God has put me here for such a time as this. And we hear about it in verse three. Let me read it again. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord, while Jezebel, that's Ahab's wife, the queen, while Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. His position puts him right in the firing line of a regime that is hell-bent against the Bible. He meets Elijah while he's out under Ahab's instructions trying to find his pasture. And you see the danger he's in because um, in verse 12, he's so afraid that Elijah might disappear off somewhere and that going to see Ahab and saying, I found Elijah, and then not being able to find him would mean he'd be put to death. But he says at the end of verse 12, I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, 50 in each, and supplied them with food and water. So while Ahab, the king, is only bothered about the economy, trying to find somewhere to, to keep to save the horses and mules, he's killing off the prophets of God. And Obadiah had this moment, this opportunity to protect people, but he also had to have great courage to take an enormous personal risk. And as Obadiah hid those prophets, we see a man quietly lining up his life behind the word of the Lord. A man who knows without the prophets in the land, the word of God is taken away from the land and the people will, will perish. They'll never flourish. He knows what the land needs more than anything is for the word of God to be proclaimed so that people, people can put their trust in the God of the word and can follow him and flourish. So the nation needs to turn back to God and trust his promises. And Obadiah does what he can in the position God's put him in to help the word flourish in the land. So I don't know what roles you guys are in in Parliament. But let me ask, might there be moments in your career where the dominant political agenda is the economy, but as a servant of Jesus, you have an opportunity to act with the power you have to protect people? Or perhaps even closer to what Obadiah was called to do, 
might there be a time when at considerable risk to yourself, the Lord might give you an opportunity to demonstrate that you line up your life behind his word and you know that it's by enabling his word to go out and flourish that the people will not perish but have eternal life. And let's also be encouraged by the contrast between Elijah and Obadiah because we see there the diversity of what faithfulness to the Lord might look like. You might think you're just like Elijah. Lots of us are not. Elijah's service of God is public and confrontational. Obadiah's is quietly behind the scenes, but he was faithful in the sphere where God had placed him to be. And we can't all be Elijah clones. And it would probably be very bad if we were, if every Christian was like Elijah. I remember a friend speaking about a minister who God has greatly used um, and through whom lots of churches have been planted. But my friend said about him, uh, we can't all be like that. We can't all spend our entire life shoulder charging the world. And it's a great description, you know, praise God that this guy shoulder charges the world every day. Some of us are not like that. Who has God made me and what is he calling me to do? Faithfulness comes in different flavours and let's not resent that. Let's be encouraged by it and content to seek to be faithful where we are. That's our first character uh, to look at this lunchtime. The second one is Elijah himself at the end of the chapter. After the great events of Mount Carmel, we see Elijah and the praying life. Elijah and the praying life. Now, in lots of ways, Elijah is unique in these chapters in his role as God's prophet. Really, when we look at him, we're seeing someone a bit more like Jesus than a bit more like us. He, he comes and heroically brings God's word back to the people. But in the New Testament, James chapter five, James urges us to see Elijah as well, just as a man, just like us, when he gets on his knees and he prays. And James challenges us to take Elijah's example and pray expectantly. He says, Elijah was a man just like you and me, but he prayed it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain. And then he prayed that it would rain and it did rain. So let's just step back into the story and, and learn what we can about prayer from Elijah. Notice first that Elijah prays in response to God's promises. We don't even have a record of Elijah praying it wouldn't rain. God just says it won't rain. But James tells us Elijah did pray that prayer. And then in chapter 18, verse 1, the start of this chapter, Elijah is told, go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. So God promises it. And then Elijah has to pray for it. Why? Evidently, it's because this is how God chooses to work. Even when God, God, God always knows what is the wise thing to do and the good thing to do, it still delights him to do those things in response to the prayers of his people. And so when we have a promise from God, we're not to think, oh, well, God's promised it, so it will happen anyway. Rather, we're to think God's promised it, so I'll pray for it. It's good to pray that Jesus will come soon, especially when we see the news, when we see hard things in the news. Let's pray, Lord Jesus, come soon. Because God's promised he will. So we as his people pray. It's good to pray thy kingdom come. It's good to pray that Jesus will build his church because he's promised he'll build his church. 
So we pray in that promise. With Elijah as well, we get a glimpse of the mystery of prayer. So he's got the promise of God. And then he boldly goes and tells Ahab in verse 41. I put it on the screen there. Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. You see that confidence? What's the sound of heavy rain? It's God made a promise. It's not raindrops on, on the roof. It's God made a promise. That's the sound of heavy rain. And then he goes to the top of Mount Carmel and he puts his face between his knees in the posture of prayer. And then in verse 43, he tells his servant, go and look towards the sea and his servant goes and there's nothing there. And he sends him back again and again and again. Seven times he has to go back before he sees a little cloud on the horizon. Now, why is prayer like this? Why is it like this? When Elijah was before the altar on Mount Carmel, he just prayed once for fire and fire came down. Now he prays for water to come from the sky and he has to wait and wait and persevere and wrestle and pray. Isn't that often our experience with prayer? That there is just mystery about prayer, isn't there? Um, 20 years ago, I met a, a lead singer from a band from Glasgow. I won't say which band it is um, to preserve his anonymity. But um, the band's from Glasgow. And I was working as a lawyer and I was um, working in Asia. And um, I met this band. I went to the concert and I was chatting to the singer. And we had a really good chat about the Christian faith. And then I've, I'm now a minister and I'm in Glasgow. So when I moved to Glasgow, I was thinking about this guy. And that conversation, but I had no way of contacting him. Um, but I decided that I'd pray that I would bump into him so that I could say to him, uh, you might not remember this, but we met in Japan and I was a lawyer and we had a good chat. And now I'm a minister in Glasgow. I just prayed to God that I would bump into him. And then I went out into the street from the church where I work and he was there. He was right there. It was it was. It, it freaked me out, actually. It was just such a, so astonishing, <laughs> the answer to prayer. Anyway, we bumped into each other several times after that and went for a coffee and we talked more and he's come along to our church. But then I've got five friends who are not Christians, who I've been praying for day after day since I became a Christian. And to my knowledge, none of them yet have become Christians. Now, it's worth saying with Obviously, in both those cases, I don't have a promise from God that I'm praying in, into. Um, at the same time, isn't prayer sometimes like that? There is mystery there, isn't there, with prayer? Um, sometimes it's so breathtakingly simple. I asked for this and God did it. And other times there's perseverance and there's frustration and it requires humble repetition, humbling repetition. But what we can be confident of is that the Lord wants us to pray. It's always right to pray. And Elijah shows us that he was a man of prayer and we're called to be like him. So we've thought about Obadiah, the ordinary hero. We've thought about Elijah, the man of prayer. Uh, but the chapter finishes with Ahab. So that's our final point. Ahab and the righteous king. Ahab and the righteous king. So as the rain starts falling in response to Elijah's prayer, he tells Ahab to hitch up his chariot and go down before the rain stops him. In other words, go back to your palace in Jezreel. 
And in verse 45, Ahab rides off to Jezreel. You can see that there. And we read this in verse 46. Have a look. The power of the Lord came on Elijah and, tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. It's a remarkable picture of the grace of God. Here is Ahab, this terrible king, being given a fresh start by our great God. He's seen the fire on the mountain. He's seen the rain come back on the land after three years because the prophet prayed for it. Will he now turn back to the Lord? This is his moment. This is the gracious offer to Ahab. He's got all the evidence he needs. And I think there's profound symbolism in Elijah going ahead of him. The power of the Lord comes on Elijah to make him run ahead of the chariot because this is a picture of how things should be. This is the king of God's people following the word of God embodied in the prophet. Following Elijah because the word of God comes through him. So it's a king being led by the word. Do you see that? And it's just a glimpse of the way things are meant to be. And just picture Elijah stopping at the gateposts to Ahab's summer residence in Jezreel, hands on his knees, panting to get his breath back, as Ahab's chariot turns up the lane and you can see a light on in the Queen's quarters. And it's this moment of hope for Old Testament Israel. And I wish I was with you next week to show you what happens next, but you can read on. And by verse two of the next chapter, it comes horrifically crashing down because Ahab and Jezebel won't turn back to God. And the rest of two kings leaves us in despair that no human king can live up to what we need them to. No human king is righteous. And so God's people can't stay right with God because they need a righteous king to lead them. So when you read two kings, the next thing you should read is Matthew's gospel and feel the thrill as we read Matthew chapter four and we hear great King David's greatest son is in the wilderness and the devil shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says to him, all of this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus, our king, answers with the word of God, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's straight out of Deuteronomy. He's the king that we need. So Obadiah inspires us to be faithful in our sphere of work. Elijah inspires us to be faithful in prayer this week. But our ultimate inspiration comes from the joy of knowing that the story of this book, two kings, one and two kings, is we need a righteous king, a king who will live his life under the word of God so that the blessings of God can fall on his people. And now in Jesus Christ, we have such a king. Blessings be upon him. Amen.